Hi there, my name is Dan and I'm one of the pastors here at HTBB and it's so good to be with you today looking at the Bible together. We've just entered into the season of Lent. Lent is observed by most Christians around the world and it's the 40 days that lead up to Easter, which is then when we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, traditionally, in this period of Lent, Christians focus on Jesus's preparation for the cross and try to understand it more, not just intellectually, but also practically by taking up some disciplines of self-denial, usually through fasting, prayer and generosity. And those three go quite nicely together because, for example, if you're fasting a meal, it gives you some more time to pray. And then the money that you might have spent on the meal can then be given away in generosity. And we're going to be looking at some of those uh, disciplines uh, in more detail in a midweek resource called Holy Habits, uh, which you can find on our social media accounts. But today, I want to look at the why behind all of this. Why would we want to practice self-denial? And the answer is, and it's counterintuitive, is because that is where Jesus says the blessed life is. So Kate and I, Kate, my wife, uh, uh, she and I struggled uh, with infertility for about five years, five years where we were waiting for children. And it's tough. It's like grieving for something you never had. And, and then we got pregnant and we found out it was twins. And then it was a high risk pregnancy. And then the girls came prematurely and it was all quite a roller coaster ride. But uh, eventually they came and they breathed and we just saw God's miraculous provision after miraculous provision. But we also have some really close friends who struggled with infertility for 10 years. And then they had a child who has serious health complications. And then we have other friends who are still waiting. And I suppose the question is, who is the blessed amongst us? Like, did God's blessing pass them by? To broaden the question further, we're in the middle of this pandemic and there are some who've been affected by all of this and honestly say that they've clearly seen how God has used this situation to bless them. But there's another group who've buried loved ones, who've lost their jobs, who've lost their own lives. Where is the blessing in the life of that follower of Jesus? In that second group, did God's blessing pass them by? Is it only in the neat and tidy, in the resolved stories of God at work that we can say God is good and I am blessed? And if so, what about those of us who are in the middle of the mess and muck? Has God's blessing passed us by? And this is how Jesus answers that question. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, right out at the beginning, we read this. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, sat down, remembered to unmute, and then he began to teach them. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And this can sound quite nice, but actually it's really offensive. Like no one likes being told that you are something when you feel like you are not. It's, it's really actually quite annoying. 
You've probably seen the story this last week of a lawyer in an online court session in America who accidentally joins the, the court session with a cat filter on his Zoom camera. Uh, and then he can't get it off. And the, the judge is like, why am I being addressed by a digital feline? And he has, he has to end by uttering the immortal words, I'm here live. I'm not a cat. Like nobody likes being told that you are something when you're not. And Jesus looks at those who are mourning, looks at those who are at the end of themselves, those who are hungering and says, you're blessed. And today I want to focus in on one of those statements. Blessed are those who mourn because it gives us a window into what self-denial is about, what Lent is about, what following Jesus is about. Now, the wonderful thing is that we follow Jesus and so we obey someone who is himself obedient. Like he never asks us to do anything that he has not already done himself. And at the end of Jesus's earthly ministry, before he goes to the cross, Jesus stops and he looks at the city of Jerusalem and he mourns for them. And in this mourning, we see why it is that he says, blessed are those who mourn. And we see why it is that when we are hurting, it does not mean that God's blessing has passed us by. So our reading for today is found in the book of Matthew, chapter 23, starting at verse 37. Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem. He sees that it's really not going well, that the, the temple is supposed to point people to God. And he's doing the opposite. And so he lays into the leaders for their treatment of the people and for their treatment of God. And at the end of this, Jesus says these words, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things? He asked. Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Amen. Now, before we look at why it is that Jesus says blessed are those who mourn, it's worth just asking, what does it even mean to be blessed? Because the word Jesus uses doesn't really have an equivalent word in the English language. There is one apparently in, in Mandarin. It's sing for, meaning living a life that people congratulate for and desire to have for themselves. Well, at least I'm told that's what the word means. Maybe I'm just being... Uh, tricked by Alvin and Charlotte. But uh, it's what we heard earlier, I think, in Kenneth's story about why he decided to try Alpha. He said, look, I, I saw these people and I thought, I want to be like that person. I want what they have, the peace, the fearlessness that I see a lot of Christians have. But in a way, that just makes it even more strange because why would you want to be like people who mourn? And why would it be that people look at those who are mourning and say, I want what they've got? And I think there are three reasons, and each builds on the previous as to why it is that blessed are those who mourn. Firstly, blessed are those who mourn because when we lean into our lack and loss, 
we are more in touch with reality. I just love the disciples. They are so encouraging because at nearly every moment, at every way, they say the wrong thing. Uh, Jesus has just been pulling apart the leadership of the temple. He's declared the failure of the purpose of the temple, and he's warned them of the coming destruction of the temple. And the very next thing, the first thing they say as they walk away is, oh, look, isn't it a pretty temple? <laughs> we read Jesus says, Jesus left the temple. He was walking away when his disciples came to him to call attention to its buildings. They're like, hey, Jesus, time to get a photo. Like, like, come on, come on. Like, how do I remove this cat filter? Like, they're acting like total tourists. And Jesus says, do you see all these things? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. And do you know what? I'm so like the disciples. I get comfortable with the status quo. And I too am easily distracted by shiny things. Like now, this is obviously, this is part of the human condition that we tend to think that we're the center of the world and that what we experience in this moment is normal. But sometimes there are these moments that sort of jolt us out of this. Like, for example, like I read recently that in India, like the second most popular nation in the world, only 4% of marriages are choice marriages. I 96% of marriages in India are arranged marriages. Now, the TV shows I watch do not tell that story. If you move in my circles, you would never think that that could be the norm for a, for a culture. In fact, it's such an out there concept for the Western world that there's even this kooky like reality TV show called Married at First Sight. When we mourn, that's like one of those moments where you're jolted and put more in touch with the reality of the world, more in touch with the lived experience of most of the world, and more in touch with the situation we find ourselves in. See, what Jesus says about the temple is true of everything. He says, truly, I tell you, not, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Like It might not be as violent as the eventual destruction of the temple. It may just be wear and tear, but everything will eventually go. And we distract ourselves from this because, I mean, that's scary, right? Like, the temple was one of the ancient wonders of the world. Not just big, it was beautiful, covered in gold. It took more than 80 years to build. And then once it was finished, seven years later, it's destroyed. And we forget that about ourselves. Like, we aren't here for that long. Like, sometimes we resist mourning and grieving because it means facing up to the reality of our precarious position in this world. Life is hard. Like, outside of Jesus and his kingdom, everyone we love, we will lose. Everything we build will be broken. And it's scary to face up to that, but it's more dangerous if we don't. For Jerusalem, the reason Jesus is mourning is that the way the people are living, the way they're doing their religion, their politics, their lives is headed down the path towards destruction. And unless they repent and embrace the way of Jesus, this destruction is unavoidable. And eventually it happens. In 70 AD, Jerusalem violently tries to overthrow its oppressors and Rome responds as everyone knew it would and it destroyed the city. Like, destroyed, like Jesus said, like the accounts of the siege are harrowing to read. Jesus is mourning because the city isn't. The leaders, the, the, the people, they're looking at their lives and they're thinking this is fine. Basically, that dog meme, like is the leadership of Jerusalem in the lead up to its destruction. Like this is fine. This is going to work out great. Only 
it's not. It's going in one direction and it's not a good one. If we don't mourn, it means we don't face up to the reality and it means we don't realize that we have a reason to change. Now, one of the reasons that this is important for us at this time is that there is so much to mourn at the moment. Like we've lost jobs, we've lost incomes, we've lost freedom. In other words, we've lost the life that we used to have. And importantly, we've lost people that we love. And if we don't process this grief, it, it will come out, but it will come out in other ways. Like one of our students at SBTC, for example, she, she ran an online anger management class recently and 400 people attended. 400 people came along because they're struggling with anger. There is so much for us to process in this grief and mourning. And if, if we don't process it well, it will come out in destructive behaviors. But more importantly, leaning into our loss not only prevents the bad outcomes, it creates a space for something good to come. Leaning into our lack and loss is not good news in of itself. In, in fact, to be honest, it's a tad depressing. Uh, but when we become of our lack, it leads us to a longing. That's the second reason that blessed are those who mourn, because as we lean into our loss, it creates in us a longing, a longing for something more, a longing for something that will last. And if we've been truly honest in facing our lack, we're going to be longing for a savior. See, if death is always somebody else's problem, then Christ will always be somebody else's solution. And the good news is that Jesus says, I'm here. You need a savior. I'm here. These are his words. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were not willing. The image Jesus uses here is, is of fire. Fire is a, a fearful thing. I, I once had a job on a farm helping with fire control. Uh, there was a, a big field, really big field. It needed to be cleared of stubble and hay uh, because if, if it wasn't dealt with, it could easily catch a light in the summer. And so one of the ways that you prevented big wildfires was by clearing it with small control fires. Well, that's the theory anyway. Uh, in the ancient world, fire was an ever-present danger. And the image he draws upon here is fire in a farmyard. When a farmyard catches fire, it's, it's a terrible thing. The animals will try and escape. If they can't, some have been known to die trying to protect their own young. There are stories of those clearing up after a fire and have found a, a dead hen with live chicks under her wings. So she has literally given her life to save them. And it's a vivid and violent image of what Jesus says he longs to do for Jerusalem, of what he wants to do for us. If they will rest under his wings, if they will follow his ways, the destruction can be avoided. As we look at the reality of our situation, we realize that we don't have the resources within us to save ourselves. And it makes us long for a savior. And here again, this is why mourning is for our blessing, because if you're honest about the desperate reality, if we're honest about our real lack, then it means you're less likely to settle for false saviors. See, if all you need in this life is rescuing from a bit of discomfort, then there's a whole line of little false gods that will promise to distract you, mollycoddle you, and ease you so that you are not as bothered. 
the world's version of these Beatitudes would be something along this line, something like congratulations to those who are popular because they have all the options. Congratulations to those who have all the cash for they will be comfortable and so on and so forth. But all of those things are temporary at best, false little saviors. And what Jesus is saying to us is don't locate the blessing of God on things that are passing away. They are not signs of his favor and they definitely can't save you. And one of the false saviors we realize we can't depend upon as we mourn is ourselves. One of the things that a lot of people I I know are dealing with, I am having to deal with and mourn at the moment, is to let go of that false image of ourselves that we had before the pandemic. So many people have said to me, I thought I was stronger than this, that they were shocked by the effect it had on them, their families and their mental health. We've been forced into the realization that we are not who we thought we were. We're not as strong and we're definitely not as self-reliant as we thought we were. And ultimately, that is a healthy thing because without facing our lack, we never develop a longing. And so we miss out. Like the people Jesus is mourning over in Jerusalem because he says, you were not willing. But the moment we do look and we stop resisting, he takes the hit. He covers us with his wings. He takes the punishment on the cross that we deserve. And how can we know? How can we know that that's going to be God's reaction to our honest assessment and our honest confession? Because we see Jesus do it even here. If you look at the start of this chapter that leads up to it, it's pretty full on. It's Jesus holding the leaders to account for all the wrong that they've been doing. And he has seven, seven woes for them. Woes for being a hypocrite. Woe for being blind guides. Woe for missing the point. Like if this was your performance review, you know you'd be on your way out. And then instead, the climax of his anger is Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you under my wings. Jesus hates sin, but he loves you. And so he sides with you against your sin, not against you because of your sin. God's anger at sin leads to his open embrace for you, which takes us to the last part of why it is that blessed are those who mourn. Because leaning into our loss creates a longing that leads us into his love. Ultimately, this is why we're blessed when we mourn, because anything that causes the presence of God in your life to go from being nice to being necessary, then that is a blessing to you. Anything that shakes you up and causes the presence of God to go from being an option on the table to being the only thing able, That is a blessing to you. The reason we encounter his presence when we mourn is is not because somehow our mourning has caused him to step into our situation. It's that our mourning causes us to step fully into our own situation. And then we suddenly discover that he's already there and he's more present than me. See, this is the crazy thing about Jesus. Jesus is more present in my sufferings than I am. Because I'm wanting it to be over. I'm wanting him to airlift me out all the while he's already parachuted in. Isn't it amazing like how present Jesus is here? He knows that in the future he'll fix it, but in this moment he mourns. He knows that a heavenly Jerusalem, a restored Jerusalem is going to come, but he still weeps at what will happen first. 
You see it like most clearly when his friend Lazarus dies. His friend Lazarus dies and he he goes to his graveside and it's the shortest verse in the Bible. It simply says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Like he knows what he's about to do. He's about to raise Lazarus from the dead, but the pain is real. And he is present in the moment. He is present with us in our troubles, which is why blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And the, the comfort is not only the provision, it's his presence. The, that word comfort means to draw alongside. And it's the same word the early followers of Jesus used to describe the experience of God's presence through his Holy Spirit. That he is the one who draws alongside us, who comforts us. This is the real promise. Like the real promised land for us is not released from lockdown or that once we're all vaccinated, we can go back to life being absolutely perfect like it was before. No, the promise is his presence. And I think there are two reasons why that he'd rather be present with us in our sufferings than to remove us from the situation. Firstly, it's because if our aim in all of this is just to go back to normal, then we've missed the most important lesson in life, let alone this season, which is that we need our Heavenly Father. We were created to be in relationship with him and he longs to be close to you. But secondly, when we get this for ourselves, we're then able to share it with our neighbor. I think this is why the picture Jesus uses is not a picture of a a hen flying away with the chicks on her back, like, see you later, Uh, but a hen covering her chicks with her wings where they are. Why? Because he wants his children to be present in the midst of the challenges and to be for our neighbor what he has been for us. See, processing and mourning the loss of what's been going on is going to be really hard, partly because everybody is going through it. We we were speaking with a friend at my parents' church who grew up uh, during the Second World War, and he lost family members during the war. And but but he said, but because everyone had lost someone, you just kind of didn't grieve, you didn't process it because there was always somebody kind of worse off than you. And speaking with this guy, it's only been later in life that he started to grieve the loss of those that he loved all that time ago. But he said, you know, it's amazing that even after all this time, as he's mourned, the Holy Spirit has been at work in that. And he's seen him at work in his life through this. You know, one of the main ways the church is going to be needed to serve the world in the next few years is in this whole area of grief and working out how we process this trauma. One of the main ways we're going to be loving our neighbor will simply be to listen to them. I think we're going to be amazed at what happens in people's lives when we're willing to sit with them in a space where Jesus has promised to be present. That is why blessed are those who mourn. It's why in Lent we intentionally try and lean into some of these areas of lack and loss because he's there. And when we're with him, we get to know him better. And this is This has always been the case. In fact, this was the surprise of the first Easter. The women who'd followed Jesus go to his tomb to mourn him and discover that he's there and he's alive. Mourning is a place where we encounter him and are surprised by him and find life in him. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted.
Amen. Amen. Why don't we pray? Uh, And I'm going to invite you to stand wherever you are. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill us afresh, to meet us, to draw alongside us wherever we are now. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and fill us afresh. Come, Holy Spirit. We love you. We love what you do and the way that you do it. And I ask that you would come now and be present with every person watching. Lord, for those who need to know your presence, who are, who are hungry for you, Lord, we thank you that you are more willing to fill us than we are willing to ask. And so now we ask that you would come and fill us afresh. Lord, help us to bring our troubles to you. Help us to know that you are present with us and help us to love our neighbours as you have loved us. Amen. 